0: And very good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Thanks for joining us. It's Thursday, August the 13th. We are following breaking news this afternoon. Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce set to deliver what is being termed by the Ontario government as improvements. It's Jessica Lyons She's with the Ontario Parent Action Network, and she joins us now for more here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Jessica, good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. All right. What are you hoping? What is the Ontario Parent Action Network? What are they hoping to hear from the education minister in a little over two hours from now?
1: We're hoping to hear an announcement that basically states we're now listening to to parents, to education workers, to the uh, education unions that have been sounding the alarm for months about this issue and that they're now willing to fully fund a safe return to school. That would be ideal.
0: Okay, what does that look like according to you in the Ontario Parent Action Network? What is your immediate or more most pressing concern?
1: Our, well, we have a we have a several pressing concerns, and essentially, what we need is the the right amount of funding, which we calculate to be um, more than three billion dollars to reduce class sizes would be a very very pressing concern to learning groups of between 10 and 15 students to ensure small cohorts to reduce transmission among students and to uh make possible social distancing within the classroom for at some times in some ways another key issue for us is ventilation uh there is no money in the plan currently to return to school that is dedicated for ventilation improvements and upgrades and we think that is a huge issue given that many 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 schools have very outdated um, infrastructure and are in need of HVAC repairs and need of window repairs windows that don't even open we know fresh air makes a huge difference to transmission we also need to see a lot more funding for the kinds of supports and um, you know uh, other, other other workers that need to be in the school to make this work, such as nurses, they've provided some funding, but it looks like it actually only calculates to be two nurse visits per month. And so who's going to be actually assessing and taking care of our children if they get sick in class? And, you know, we, we, we there is some money for cleaning, but we calculated to actually only turn out to be about two additional hours per day. So who's going to be making sure that... You know, high-touch surfaces are clean. That the bathrooms are clean. That there's that there's you know actual ongoing attention throughout the day. So we're very concerned about that, and we know that there is money. If the if the government was committed to caring for our children and school staff, they could find the money. And it's going to be a lot worse cost-wise for them if we're all back in lockdown in a matter of weeks or months.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty big chasm we're talking about when it comes to funding. If uh, your group and others are looking for upwards of $3 billion to safely get yeah. our kids back in the classroom, uh, the government plan so far is $310 million. It might get topped up a little bit in the announcement from Minister Lecce later this afternoon, but obviously you've got some pretty grave concerns that uh, we're not even scratching the surface. We're not even close enough to uh, properly uh, funding the return to class.
1: That's right. And, you know, it's a really a question of what our priorities are in this province. And I just, I can I can want to pose the question to the Premier and to the Minister of Education. What is the top priority that they imagine for every single parent and family, grandparent, community member in this province? And if it's not the health and safety of, their, of the children of Ontario, then I think there's a big problem here.
0: Have they been responsive at all to the Ontario Parent Action Network? Have you had any dialogue with the government, uh, whether it be uh, the Premier himself, the Education Minister, or anyone else from the Ontario government?
1: Absolutely not. Nothing. No. I, as far as I've, as far as I know, there hasn't been any consultation. There's been no facilitated conversation with any parent groups or advocacy organizations, and also very, very scant communication and in, and inadequate conversation with with um, unions representing
0: educational workers as well. All right, so if we're looking at inadequate consultation, we're also looking at a big difference in uh, funding and whether or not we've got enough custodial staff, enough teaching staff to reduce class sizes to an appropriate uh, level. Do you think, much like B.C., Ontario should just postpone back to school? Uh, Are we rushing things here in your estimation? Well,
1: my response to that is that the government knew ever since March when they they started uh, the cancellation of school, that they were going to have to figure out how to do it properly to bring kids back into school, so in my estimation, they've had months, and that this just is an example of an entire failure on their part to understand the issue and to address it adequately. you know the BC delay was two is two days, so you know i I do think that that I'm sure that education uh, workers have a recommendation of how many days. That they would need to be inside the school building to prepare for students to to reintegrate, and if that's staggered, I'm sure they have a recommendation about that. But what what we're facing here as parents is like literally no good choice, because there isn't there isn't a, an income supplement for parents who who think this plan is unsafe and they should keep their ch- children home. There's no there's no support to do that. So unless you happen to be extremely Lucky and 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 affluent and be able to somehow uh, work from home or provide some kind of support, is one, you know, for children learning at home. Your only choice is to send your kids back to school, and if you don't think that that's safe, well, that's too bad for you. And that is honestly how so many p- parents are feeling: unbelievably upset and stressed, and like they are not able to make a safe choice for their kids. And that I can't just tell you how unbearable
0: that this feels. Yeah, well listen, we can hear it in your voice without a doubt. Just let me ask you finally, uh, Jessica, because just as we've been having this conversation, it occurred to me as we talk about the difference between BC and Ontario and whether or not governments have been consulted enough, does it strike you kind of strange that we've got this kind of patchwork that uh, it seems like every province and every school board has a different way about going about this? I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, we're talking about the same virus, COVID-19, and we're talking about getting our kids back to school. Are we not doing a good enough job, do you think, whether it be the educators, the school boards, parents, governments, of all just getting together and getting one solution to this that uh, works for everybody since we're all kind of facing the same thing? Like, why are we not uh, harnessing all of our
1: Well, and, you know, here's what here's what I've noticed is that, you know, the school board did come out with what they're what they thought was a safe plan. And they put that to the province and said, you know, can you fund it? We we think that there should be reduced class sizes and the province has refused. And Toronto Public Health, for example, amongst I think other health boards have said, you know, We're looking at the scientific evidence here, and we really need to reduce class sizes. We need more funding to address this safely. We don't think, you know, I got a call from the school board this morning that says, hi, you need to make a decision. By the way, Toronto Public Health doesn't think this is a safe plan. So are your kids coming? Like, this is insane.
0: Jessica, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I know you'll be listening intently, as we all will, at 3.30 this afternoon to the Education Minister.
1: I appreciate your time.
0: Of course, there's been lots of talk about physical distancing. Can that happen, particularly in elementary schools? Renewed concerns over ventilation systems over the last week or so. And, yes, class size as well. Just uh, how many kids are too many when it comes to being safe in the COVID era in the classroom? And what about the face masks? Not only for the students, but for the teachers as well. Might be a smart health decision, but do face masks do they actually impact a child's ability to learn? It says Doctor Rachel Hayden. She's a professor at the Faculty of Education at Western University, and the doctor joins us now here on Global News Radio, six forty Toronto. Doctor Hayden, good afternoon.
1: Hello, Jeff.
0: Nice to have you here with us. Uh, What does the research uh, tell us about this? Will face masks, uh, again, a good decision uh, when it comes to health, but will it impact a child's ability to learn?
2: Well, as everybody has been saying, these are unprecedented times, and so we don't really have a lot of research about what happens when teachers' faces are covered. Um, But we do know a lot about um, communication and the role that the face plays in communication um, and in uh, children's learning opportunities for language uh, development in particular. And so we know that um, early on in life that oral language is connected up with reading and writing acquisition. And so um, there's a lot of work that teachers in the early years, primary grades, do related to sound. And, um, and to, you know, what your mouth is supposed to be doing and, and children really look to those cues. Um, So they look to those cues for their own oral language um, acquisition and, uh, and also just in terms of like checking out to see like, you know, am I understanding what's happening, you know, in that back and forth kind of relationship, uh, Mm -hmm. communication relationship.
0: So, for example, in the classroom, if a child can't see the teacher's uh, face, the child uh, might be thinking that uh, maybe the teacher's uh, being critical or a little stern, if all they can see, or maybe their eyes and a bit of a furrowed brow, where underneath the mask, maybe the teacher is smiling and, and is being encouraging, but you, you can't see that due to the face mask.
2: So certainly, we are missing some really uh, potentially very important visual cues, um, you know, when when the the mask is there. But I will say that um, that teachers um, will compensate undoubtedly because teachers are innovative, they're creative, um, and they are expert in developing relationship with. Uh, the students who are in their care, and so they will compensate with other kinds of signals, um, for sure. But my my bigger concern has to do with kind of that 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 language development and making sure that children have opportunities to be able to be engaging with more expert language users, where they can actually see, um, you know, what is happening with the face. Uh, during oral language production.
0: Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this, and I'm sure people listening in right now feel the same. I mean, is this something you discuss and teach at the Faculty of Education there at uh, Western University? Because I think back to my academic experience, and we all have those one or two teachers that really made an impact on us, and when I think back, it's the teachers that were so expressive and just had this passion about the subject matter and learning, and you just fed off that uh, as a student. Is that something that is uh, really important to the educational experience? And again, something that you really kind of focus and key on there at the Faculty of Education?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That um, That kind of you know, that energy of how do you create momentum in a room? How do you create that kind of energy? How do you bring um, knowledge to life, right? That, that is all something that we do. And I think also we know more now than we ever have before about, um, you know, the, the importance of um, forging relationships and the importance also of what we call multimodal communication. So how gesture goes together with uh, facial expression, which goes together with tone of voice um, and how we bring learning to life through that multimodal com- uh, communication. Um, okay. Also just like, The, you know, the gorgeousness of being able to, like, share a story together where we can bring that story to life, right, through the same kinds of multimodal communication, that's really important and that's something that we definitely teach at the faculty.
0: Okay, so if tonality is important. Facial expression is key. Mm -hmm. Uh, Should teachers be using, maybe instead of a face mask, should they be using a a face shield or should they be using some of those face masks with the, uh, we've seen them uh, in the last couple of weeks with see-through windows that have been designed for the hearing impaired so that they can still read lips? Are those the sort of masks that maybe educators should be equipped with? Well,
2: I am an education expert. I'm not a medical expert. I have read some of the research on, um, you know, the efficacy of a face shield versus a mask in, in terms of protection. And so I really, you know, at this point, we have to take the uh, health unit's um, recommendations and policies related to what is better to use but certainly um, if we can use masks that do have that clear part for the mouth um, that just is you know makes good sense in terms of increasing the amount of visual cues that will be available uh, for children but we can also create other kinds of opportunities uh, for children so that they can have these kinds of experiences and so that could take the form of learning outside where you know the teacher may be able to have some demonstration unmasked that can be in the form of video um, so that children can see those facial expressions. Also, I think it's, very, it's always very important, and we always know that children have all kinds of experiences in their daily lives, that school is one part of their daily life where they're learning, but they're learning all the time. And so it just reinforces the importance of um, that really fantastic, rich oral communication opportunity that children can have at home with families and um, that can be parents, grandparents, caregivers, um, you know, siblings, where people are spending time talking to each other, singing together, uh, reading together, and where they can really um, just enjoy time with each other where they are engaged in that kind of oral communication
0: yeah, just back to your first point, you mean, finally, I can have class outside? You know how many times I asked for that going through school? It's a nice day out. Can we have class? Out? No, we can't have class outside. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, to your point, your la- your latter point about uh, having families involved in the educational experience, what's your take on online classes? You know, a lot of parents were forced to, uh, obviously, when the pandemic hit back in March, to uh, shift their children's uh, focus to online uh, Online, are online classes, do you think, the best option for everybody involved, best from a health perspective, best from an educational standpoint?
2: So I can comment in terms of educationally, and what we saw in the spring, I wouldn't really call that online education. That was kind of emergency remote. (laughs) We all have to, like, lock up and just do the best that we can for a little while. And sure. so I think what people experienced during that period was not the best of what online learning can actually be. Um, with advanced planning and when very purposefully done, online learning is a very different kind of thing and can be a really, um, uh, again, rich uh, set of learning opportunities um, for people. The younger the child, probably the more difficult that is. Um, and I, I think, you know, there are just some things that can uh, really never replace the immediacy um, of, of being physically together.
0: Sure. Listen, we're awaiting the Education Minister and his update in about uh, an hour and a half from now. I would be remiss having you on with us if I did not ask, what are you hearing from educators, uh, from teachers, from those in the Faculty of Education at Western when it comes to a return uh, to school? Do you think that educators are being heard by the government, uh, their concerns, and just how ready do you feel faculty, the educators are, to return to the classroom?
2: We... um we have been hearing in the faculty we are ready to go in terms of our own teacher education program um i uh i've been hearing from our um acting dean Kathy Hibbert that you know we 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 have good planning that's going on related to practice teaching and and, and things of that nature um more broadly i absolutely want to <laughs> I've strengthened the point that teachers know their situations best. They know their schools, they know their classes, they know what is and is not possible within those particular spaces. And we absolutely need to have teachers be at the forefront of planning, not being told What to do after the planning has been done, but absolutely including them in the planning at the beginning. Teachers are innovative, they are creative, they are expert in their particular teaching situation and even though we can say you know broadly there are kind of these principles that we really need to hold on to that are are important for safe opening the specifics when you get down to that nitty-gritty we you know the teachers are best placed to be able to speak to that